Welcome back to Hoops with Book and Sheed. We've got a mega pod for you today, recapping all of this weekend's action. We start off by uh, talking about the Clippers Game 6 series-clinching win over the Mavs, and we do this with special guest and good friend of the pod, Aiden. Then we move to a recap of two lopsided games from this weekend. First, we talk about Game 5 of Rockets Thunder, and then Game 1 of Celtics Raptors. Finally, we finish up with a discussion of the Nuggets' gutsy Game 6 win over the Jazz to send that series to Game 7. If you make it around to the end of the podcast, or you can just skip there, we finish up with some quick hitters, including another What If International Hoops team. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. p.m. on Sunday evening. We all just finished watching the the Clippers and Mavs game, game six. Unfortunately, the Clippers took down the Mavs. So here with us, we've got Sheed and then special guest Aiden, a big Mavs fan here to talk about the game, the series, you know, what what comes next to the Mavs for the Mavs. So Aiden, I'll I'll kick it over to you first. If you just have any thoughts you want to share on on what you saw in today's game. Yeah, first of all, uh, happy to be here. I'm a huge fan of the pod, so uh, it's always been a dream of mine to come on. Uh, Yeah, I mean, quick takeaways. We didn't hit enough threes. I mean, this is basically late-stage basketball take, but, like, every game is just variance based on the threes to some degree, and we were 11 of 37. They only hit 11 threes, too, but shot a better percentage. I mean, we really have no answer for Kawhi. You like to live with the mid-ranges, but he made them all this game. I think he was eight of nine at one point in the first half or in the second half, and a lot of those were off mid-range. We really miss KP. It's kind of a trickle-down effect on both ends. I mean, we end up playing Bobon a lot more minutes, which is fun, obviously, but he kind of gets exposed on defense. And, yeah, I don't know. They, they're they a good team. When, Re- when Reggie Jackson hits three threes in crunch time, you know you uh, are not meant to win, but – I think there's bright things on the horizon. It's kind of shades of like the Warriors giving the Spurs a good series before they became a juggernaut or, you know, maybe the Thunder lost to like the Lakers and the Lakers won the championship, I think, you know, bright future head. So I'm excited. It was a good season. Uh, Luca was amazing as always. Yeah. Uh, look, obviously I think a great season for the Mavs and my main takeaway it's just the margin for error was was so thin here, um, especially with no Porzingis, you know, no Dwight Powell. You know, they're missing key pieces. And, you know, the Clippers are obviously a very, very good basketball team, one of the contenders in the West. So, you know, I think everything had to go well um, for the Mavs to, you know, win games and compete with no Porzingis. And, you know, things went well sometimes, as you can see when they, you know, Luca step back winner in game four and, and all that. But, you know, if things weren't perfect and I thought the Mavs actually played fine today, you know, just didn't make enough shots, like you said. And, and if the Mavs wanted to compete with the overall talent level on the other side of the floor for the Clippers, um, they need to make more shots. And it just wasn't in the cards today. Yeah. You hate to see Tim Hardaway start over nine from three. I think if the Mavs were going to beat the Clippers, which no one really expected at the beginning of this series, they were going to need big games from the Tim Hardaway, Seth Curry's Dorian Finney and Smith's on their roster. And I think unfortunately they just didn't get it. Aiden, one thing I'd love to get your thoughts on, even though now that the series is over, perhaps less relevant, what do you think of uh, Marcus Morris's behavior and maybe just a little bit of commentary on the refereeing in general? I'm, I'm sure we'll get a little bit more of the Mavs perspective here, but nonetheless, we'd be interested to know what you thought. Yeah, I mean, I try to be impartial. That was obviously a goon move. Like, I thought it was a well-deserved flagrant, too, even aside from him being Marcus Morris. I think Doc, at the end of quarter interview, basically said he got tossed because he's Marcus Morris, but... I mean, I think that's kind of BS. Like, it's basically fair. You don't get the benefit of the doubt, and I think all else equal, even if that were, I don't know, a friendly player like Boban doing that. That was a flagrant, too. I think, I mean, they've been trying to do that in general to Luca. They basically have no answer for him, which 
it's pretty encouraging if you're a Mavs fan because he's 21 years old and they have Kawhi and Paul George who are theoretically two of the best defenders. So, yeah, I think they were resorting to, like, kind of roughing him up a little bit. And Luca was getting frustrated. He still got his stats. I think at times it affects him on the defensive end when he gets frustrated. But, yeah, I mean, I thought it was a well-deserved flagrant too, didn't you? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, had had it not been Marcus Morris and had he not stepped – coincidentally stepped on Luca's sprained ankle in game five, I think you could have – like, it, I wouldn't have been surprised with a flagrant one, but I was by no means upset to see Marcus Morris get tossed out of that game when he basically double karate chopped Luca in the face twice <laughs> on that drive. Um, before we get to, you know, what comes next for the Mavs, I do want to talk about the Clippers a little bit since they'll be, be moving on to the next one. So, um, Sheed, would love to get some of your kind of quick takeaways on, on the Clippers and what you saw in this game and what you think it means for, for the rest of their stretch down the playoffs. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you know, they did a better job in the last few games on Luca, I think. And look, you're never going to stop Luca right now. He's such a great player, but they're doubling Luca pick and rolls. And, you know, like we talked about with Tim Hardaway Jr., basically forcing other guys to beat them. And it didn't happen today. Um, I just saw them winning with talent and size. You know, I think one of the real issues with no Porzingis and the fact that they don't have Dwight Powell is that they're just so limited at the big position now the maps right you know Max yeah, we, didn't have, a, we didn't have an answer for Zubac at all yeah I mean Maxi Kleeb was a solid player but like at starting center it's just not a lot of size and and Zubats was was very good in this series I think um Paul George looked a lot better the last few games also another big deal and helps the Clippers offensively and then generally just like the shot making it was the same thing as game five just like if the Clippers the Clippers are so talented and they have these two stars, but if the other guys make shots too, it's like almost impossible to guard because then you have to send two bodies at Paul George. You have to send two bodies at Kawhi when they're hot. And then they have, they have these options off the ball, even without Pat Bev, you know, and even if Lou Will is not having a great game, there's still Shamit and Reggie Jackson. And, you know, yeah, there's so I many options. Jump in here on Reggie Jackson, not to pick on the guy, but I think he might be my least favorite player in the NBA between the fact that the Pistons signed him to a horrible contract. Uh, the fact that he thinks he is way better than he actually is. And then it's just on the court, the way that he plays really annoys me. So no great reason for me to dislike Reggie Jackson, but right now he is, he's not high on the list of guys that I like and not to like poo poo the Clippers too much, but I just don't find a lot motivating me to root for them. I think especially when Trez isn't a major factor in the game, like neither Kawhi nor Paul George instill much excitement in me. Um, and then down, if you look down their roster, it's a lot of guys who at least I find it a little bit difficult to cheer for the Reggie Jackson, Marcus Morris, Patrick Beverly's of the world. Um, so I, obviously a beautiful basketball team and it's great to see Kawhi go to work and Paul George do his thing when he's on. But um, yeah, the watching the Clippers, especially against this Mavs team, that's so much fun. Uh, I just was not getting a ton of enjoyment out of. Yeah. Plus Doc Rivers coach team is going to yell at every call for every game of the series. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, some other quick things, Aiden, I'd love your thoughts on in terms of the Mavs is um, what's up with Luca at the free throw line? Like, I don't yeah. like it's kind of weird. Yeah, he has the yips. Uh, I don't know. He I think on the season he was high 70 percent. So it kind of ends ends up fine, I guess. But it does feel like there's something going on mentally. It's all, all playoffs. And there were stretches of the regular season where he would do this, too. He just basically goes ice cold. It, he had plenty of five for 11 from the line games this year, I felt like. Yeah, and the other thing I want to note is defensively, I felt like they went zone a few times, and it was, you know, effective at times. But I think just changing it up defensively is a is a good strategy and a hallmark of a good coach when you're sort of outmanned. I think really on that end of the floor, like the, you know, the Mavs weren't a great defense this year. But when you take Porzingis and Powell out of the, out of the equation, it's like, a pretty dire situation on that end of the floor. And so I think, you know, Carlisle had to try different things just to keep the Clippers, you know, off balance to some degree. Yeah. I, I like zone. I mean, I think, like you said, I think it's sometimes you just need to mix it up. Like the offenses are so good now, whether it's zone, whether it's throwing a double at Kawhi, like 
maybe blitzing screens more often. I, I thought the Clippers should have been getting more creative on Luca too, because they had no answer. I mean, obviously it worked out fine for them, but like Luca was 15 of 28, four of nine from three. Like really the free throws were the only thing that was a blemish. They, they basically should have done something. Yeah, totally agree. And I guess, what are you looking for in this off season? Um, where do you want the Mavs to sort of look to improve on the margins and continue to, you know, get better and challenge in the Western Conference next year? Yeah, maybe and I'll, I'll jump in here and say it, it seems like they don't have a lot of roster flexibility. So if there isn't a lot that you're looking for there, like come next season, whenever that may end up being, like what do you want to see the first game? Like, oh, wow, Luca looks like X is better or this player looks like Y is better. What's, what's on your radar there? Yeah, I mean, I was going through a cap sheet. So we got Courtney Lee contract coming off this year. Berea will officially graduate to – some sort I bet he'll be like an assistant coach or something for the Mavs or something and then we'll have I think Collie Stein has a player option um so we'll have a tiny bit of room but it is going to be on the margins so assuming Tim Hardaway opts in which hard to say with the cap space you're really going to be filling out like end of end of your rotation type guys and I think what we need is some sort of like defensive like defensive minded person we had we had the best offense ever literally so and I think we're 19th on D. So it's really just about, I mean, if you, if you can be the top few offense, you really just have to be, you know, maybe go from 19th to 11th on D or 19th to 9th to, you know, be one of the best handful of teams in the league. So I don't know. I, I imagine like an Iggy type. I, I, I know that he'd have him now, but like someone who can just play defense three and D maybe, maybe, you know, be any, like an enforcer type for, Luca, I felt like we get pushed around a little bit by teams like the Clippers. I mean, what do you think? Who's who's your shortlist? I think Buddy Heald might be available. He'd be a good shooter, but not as much on the defensive end. So, I don't know. Yeah, I, I wouldn't expect them to do anything long-term because I think one of the keys for them is to keep long-term cap flexibility going into uh, 2021 offseason. But I think a one-year deal, maybe, you know, to get someone who, like you said, is super defensive minded, makes sense. Like even, you know, it's not going to be Iggy, obviously, who's with the Heat. But like, if you imagine Iggy on the Mavs, like it's okay that he's not a he's not a huge shooter because like he's playing with a bunch of shooters. So like he can be the non shooter on the floor because you have Porzingis and Doncic and Hardaway and you know whoever you can say Brunson or whoever you want. But right. um, I like like you're right. Like I mean, the Mavs the Mavs had the best offense in terms of you know offensive rating. Um, in NBA history, and so it's hard to be like trying to find that much improvement on that in the floor. It's just you need to get do you get from 19th to 10th in the NBA in defense, then like you know you're in business. Yeah, and I I do also think that down the stretch they missed Dwight Powell on the defensive end when he plays, and you can either slide Kleba down to the four or you know play Porzingis and Powell together since there still is so much of that shooting I think he really does help as a rim protector uh, and just a guy who can generally move his feet out on the perimeter so hopefully getting Powell back from injury will, will be something that helps the team as well yeah and Porzingis back a year of them playing together you know I mean they were looking pretty good in the playoffs before Porzingis was out so it's encouraging yeah, any other sort of final thoughts on the on the Mavs here, uh, Aiden, or on the game or the series in general? Well, we we were talking about the off-arm, and <laughs> finally got called. It was hilarious. I think Luca got one, Paul George maybe got two, and Kawhi got one. So, I, I don't know, maybe the maybe Carlisle was complaining as much as I was about the off-arm. So, my that was favorite, funny. Um, my favorite sequence there was when Luca gets <laughs> the one called on him that – a tech ensues and then Paul George goes down and he's just like trying to get a pass and get, or gives like a little one and they call it out. Like, yeah. Harlow must have been in their ears. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, no, I mean, it's a good season, good game. You're not going to win when you start four of 23 from three. Um, but yeah, I mean, I thought, I actually thought it was like a pretty well refed game. I, I think the, my biggest gripe with the NBA, like rules wise right now is I think they need to reconsider how fouls are called in general. Like, I feel like right now the offenses are so good that if you let them initiate contact and draw a foul, which feels like every star is doing all game and Lou Will does in every play, then and and it's only an offensive foul if the defender like successfully flops, basically, then that's just incentivizing flopping and making it 
almost unwatchable on offense. Like no one likes Luca does it too. No one likes when you get the defender like a tiny bit off balance and throw your body into them. I think he had an and one on Paul George today like that. But yeah, I mean best of luck to the Clippers. And Do you mean we'll that back? back? Yeah, Do I can hear that? the enthusiasm in your voice there. <laughs> no, I don't mean it. I think they'll be a heavy favorite against the whether it's the Jazz or the Nuggets, probably the Jazz. So Probably going to get Lakers Clippers, which is what we thought we were going to get. We'll see. Rockets have a chance. I mean, I think the Mavs, the biggest mistake we made, which is our problem all year, was closing games. And we didn't do that in the bubble, which is why we had to play the Clippers. It, we definitely, we could be up like 3-2 three, three, on the Nugs or the Jazz right now. But instead, you play a team that's probably the best team in the league. And you're not going to win that often, especially when Porzingis is out and the refs throw him out of the first game for no reason. So. Yeah, that's best of that, luck. Best of luck to the Clippers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's that's completely fair. Well, um, it was a it was a pleasure having you on the pod, Aiden, and I'm looking forward to hearing from you again. Uh, you know, once the offseason gets started and we see what the Mavs do in the draft and free agency, et cetera. Yeah, before yeah. you go, Aiden, one thing I would say is you've always, I think, been a guy who's thinking about how can basketball be perfect, how can we make basketball better. So when we're in the uh, the the doldrums of the off season may have to have you back on to, to inject some of that innovative spirit into the NBA and into our podcast for that matter. So we, we definitely look forward to having you back sometime soon. All right. Yeah. I love that. I got all sorts of ideas. I mean, once we fix tanking and a couple rule changes, we'll have the perfect sport and that's what we all want. Uh, yeah. And hopefully Doc Rivers fully loses his voice by the end of the playoffs so we can stop listening to him complain. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. We're going to uh, move oh. on to the next game. But, Aiden, thanks, th- thanks right. for, uh, for joining us. Hi. Right. Thanks for having me on, guys. Bye. Yeah. All right. We're uh, going to talk about the Houston Rockets-Oklahoma City Thunder game that happened on Saturday afternoon. It was our second game back uh, with the return to action for the NBA. So, uh, she, do you want to start us off with just a little recap of what happened in the game? Yeah, for sure. Uh, and second game back is a generous statement on what Bucks magic is in terms of product compared to the rest <laughs> of the NBA, uh, rest of the NBA playoffs. Uh, yeah, it was a dominant win by the Rockets, one fourteen eighty. Was actually a pretty competitive first half, um, but obviously things got out of hand really quick there in the third quarter. Um, key moments of the game, definitely. Uh, the double ejection for Denny Schroeder and PJ Tucker. Um, as I said in the broadcast, um, that hurts the Thunder a lot more than it hurts the Rockets right now. So um, it was good to see Westbrook back out there. And I think the Rockets looked really good, but that's about as bad as the Thunder can play. So I would accept them to bounce back and have another competitive game uh, in game six. Um, starting with the Rockets, I guess, Nick, what were your, you know, key thoughts there in terms of what you saw from them? Yeah, I mean, this felt like a really good game for the Rockets offensively. So obviously the first thing you notice is Westbrook is back. Um, personally, I'm a pretty big Westbrook fan, always have been. And as much hero ball as he loves to play, he is a great passer. And he's just good at drawing a bunch of attention on offense, especially when he gets one of those switches onto Adams or Gallo or any other big guy that might be on the court. And so I think, you know, while Harden had a dominant game, I don't think it's uh, it should be lost that Westbrook takes some of that pressure off of Harden. And even though he didn't have a, a great game, I think, you know, he was two for seven from the field or something like that. Um, I still think it, it does a lot for their offense and raises their ceiling when he's back. Um Talking about Harden, you know, Dort's been getting a lot of credit this series for the off- or for the defense that he's playing on Harden. And I think even in this game, you saw that, uh, you know, he can stymie some of those drives by James Harden. But nonetheless, I thought Harden had a fantastic game. You know, 31 points in 28 minutes on 11 for 15 from the field. He was four for eight from three. I think one thing that they did that really helped Harden's game was setting more picks. Um, just getting Dort off of him and giving Harden a little bit of a head of steam towards the basket. And I thought the guys who were setting the screens for him and in Covington and Tucker 
um, you know, did a good job. Covington gets a lot of shit for setting bad screens, but I, I noticed a couple times where he had a good screen assist here. Um, and so I think, you know, that was sort of what I started to see, at least on the offensive end of the court. Yeah, and I think that's really a key for the Rockets is to not be so obsessed with the fact that Harden can ISO anybody. Um, mm-hmm. Because he can, but Dort's a great defender of him in terms of size and strength and what he can do on the ball. And so, you know, it feels like they've it's at times they've optimized offense so much that they sometimes forget that, you know, there's other things they can do to change things up. You know, setting setting ball screens and rolling to the rim occasionally, even though they don't have a big guy, is effective. And and Harden, you know, getting to the rim is effective. I think he did a better job of that in this game too. I think often he so relies on getting to getting back to a step back to his three or whatever that he forgets that, you know, he can get to the rim with somewhat relative ease. And even if he doesn't get all the way to the rim, then if Steven Adams pinches in, then there's wide open guys in the corner. Um, and those are more mm-hmm. three options for them. For them. As, yeah. As well. Speaking, speaking of the guy, the, the wide open guys in the corner, I thought one thing I also noticed here was the non hardened Westbrook guys did a better job of going beyond just shooting three pointers or finishing layups. I thought, especially Eric Gordon, he was great going to the basket. So, you know, he was nine for 14 from from two-point land and I thought had a lot of success on that pump and drive. You saw P.J. Tucker catch the ball in the corner a couple times, give him pump fake and go to the basket. And I think especially when they start playing these teams that are a little uh, more switchable and are going to go small against them, it'll be important for the non-hardened Westbrook guys to make some plays in the paint. Uh, beyond those easy finishes yeah yeah and um i totally agree with that and on the other end of the floor i guess what i would start talking about is how they basically were daring the thunders non-shooters to to beat them you know oh yeah and we we talked about this earlier but but dort had extreme struggles um early on this game and they would basically just leave them alone um and similar things for ferguson uh and basically, uh, is there anything else you want to sort of touch on um, with the Rockets here before we move to the Thunder angles? Um, so I, I think, yeah, I, I would give credit to Mike D'Antoni and even to James Harden for the way that they played defensively on Dort. Uh, obviously, like, not going to give him a ton of credit for a guy missing nine wide open threes <laughs> to start the game. Um, but you know, strategically it's, it's the way you should be playing it is to say, we're going to make, you know, Lou Dort and Terrence Ferguson beat us from three point range. I mean, Dort led the thunder in shots, which I know we'll talk about more when we get to the thunder, but I thought that was good coaching from the Rockets defensively. Uh, the other thing I did notice that I thought was interesting and is maybe something that the Rockets are testing out for when they play the Lakers is they went quote unquote big a little bit. So they had Robert Covington, Tucker and Jeff Green all on the court at the same time, which is something we have not seen them do a lot of. I think it may be because Dan Tony has less confidence in, you know, Austin Rivers and Macklemore these days. Um, but I thought that was interesting. The hilarious thing was that I think D'Antoni was worried he would get fired by Maury on the spot if he let Tyson Chandler play a single second. So after that whole uh, foul exchange, the Thunder got to pick who would shoot the free throws. They chose Tyson Chandler, who basically has not played the entire year or in the bubble or in the playoffs, comes on the court, misses two free throws, was going to have to stay on the court. D'Antoni immediately calls a timeout so that he can sub Tyson Chandler out. So best stat line of the weekend might be Tyson Chandler, zero minutes, zero for two from the free throw line. Yeah. Um, and probably something we'll, we'll expect to, to continue. But um, should, we, should we move over to the uh, Thunder? Yeah, let's, let's do that. Um, the first things I noted, just to start the game, the matchups were interesting. Um, Billy Dominant put, Shea Gildas Alexander on Westbrook to start, um, you know, which is a reasonable decision. I, uh, I wasn't exactly sure where they would go with that. I, I thought they might consider putting Steven Adams on him just because when, then when Westbrook doesn't have the ball, Adams can be the help at the rim. Um, I understand that's a, t- it's a very tough matchup, obviously, for Adams when, when Westbrook has the ball, but I think it's something I would consider if I were Donovan just because I think if they're really going to ISO Westbrook every time, as opposed to ISOing Harden every time, like that's probably to your benefit if you're the Thunder. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was something that, 
that that came to mind at first. Um, offensively, really, this was a mess. Uh, you know, I look the Rockets played well and off, well offensively, and the Thunder. You know, I think we're fine on defense. Not not terrible, not great. Uh, but on the other end, it was it was horrible. Um, I guess the first thing I noted was that OKC needs to attack at the time of the screen. You know, I think mm-hmm. the Rockets switch everything. So if you're gonna just do ball screens and back out. I mean, you can do that, but you're not. There's no real, true weak spot on the defense um, in terms right. of def- ISO defenders. Um, so, I I would like to see the Thunder attack more at the point of the screen. That being, if someone goes under or there's some confusion about the switch, pulling on the spot there, um, having people slip screens hard, you know, give them the ball there. Um, I I just think they're they're too slow, and they, and it takes too long to get the you know, to get to the point of attacking until the Thunder, you know, the Rockets are able to switch and get back to wherever, you know, whatever matchups they want and, and, and defend that way. So, that yeah, I think Schroeder was really the only guy who you saw attacking, you know, the switches the, the way that you just talked about. And he would quickly pull up from, you know, a foot or two behind the line, or if he got one of the bigger guys on him, he was comfortable going to his left hand and getting to the basket and flipping that little, you know, finger roll in or, or layup in before the the help defender or even his own defender can recover and block the shot. So I, I think you're right. Like I would like to see, you know, Shea Gilders, Alexander, Chris Paul, go to the basket more decisively. Um, so that's the guards. What, what do you think about Danilo Gallinari? Uh, or, or as, uh, as um, Spiro would say, Danilo Gallinari. Uh, you know, it was not Gallo's best. He has to be better. I mean, he had one point on 0-5 shooting. Um, he's almost as big of a mess on D as, as Adams is at times. Um, and quite frankly, if he's not going to – provide more offensively he can't play because and not that he needs to get benched but like he just needs to when he's on the court he needs to get the ball and be an effective offensive option and then I would probably go with him for shorter spurts and go heavier on with with Denny Schroeder I think this is a better mm-hmm. matchup for Schroeder to attack and and things uh Gallo likes to use his size to overpower guys and shoot over guys and I think there's effective wing defenders on the Rockets to sort of bother him um, and so I'd like to see more Dennis Schroeder. Um, uh, he doesn't really come in until like six minutes into each half normally. Um, yeah. I'd like to see him start, um, either instead of Schroeder or Gallinari. Yeah. So let him. me, you mean probably instead of Dort, um, yes. but l- let me ask a more specific question here. So I-, I think it's become clear that the Thunder don't have much juice offensively when Schroeder's not on the court. And then, you know, defensively when Dort's not on the court, they, they struggle to contain Harden. So if you're Billy Donovan, where, where do you flex more of those minutes? How do you make sure that you're not throwing out those Dort Steven Adams lineups that just seem to not have enough shooting versus, you know, doing the three guards plus Gallinari and Adams, but then not having it on the defensive end. Like what's your approach to start the game? What are you defaulting to? And then how do you potentially adjust if things start getting torched one way or the other? Yeah. You know, I I would probably want more offensive juice to start and, and I would probably not start Adams. Um, Like Steve Adams is fine, but like he doesn't, punish the Rockets in any way really I mean I guess he's a good rebounder and they might get beat on the glass a little but like you're playing a tiny lineup against the Rockets anyway so like I wouldn't be too concerned about getting beat on the glass I would just try to optimize your offense and like I don't think that Denny Schroeder is a worse defensive option guarding the guys that you know the you know guarding the Rockets guys than than Adams is really because Adams has no ability to to run anyone off the line and he's you know he looks sluggish out there I know he's only 26 or 27 but he's definitely beat up and, 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 and struggles. So if I were Billy Diamond, I would definitely try to just push more towards the offensive side of the floor and not worry as much about defense. I mean, I understand that, you know, you could target Schroeder and I understand that, you know, that's what hunting mismatches is what Houston does, but like you have door on Harden. They've done a pretty good job. I think honestly, not switching um, when ball screens come and Harden tries to get a switch. I think Dort's stuck on him and they've been, scrambling back solidly well so i think i just think they need to optimize more to scoring points i mean they scored 80 points in this game which is you know horrible um yeah i i would agree with you um 
I would as much as possible probably try to not have Dort and Adams on the floor at the same time. Um, so, I, I mean, it's game six, your back's against the wall. If you, you lose, you go home. Maybe you start Dort and Gallinari basically in the front court. And then when Harden goes to the bench for rest, you bring Adams in and take Dort out um, and, and maybe play like Baisley at the four. But that totally throws all of their rotations off, which, you know, who knows what that does to a team. But I would agree with you. I think they need to, to juice it up offensively. Yeah, and I mean, the last thing to note here is just like, as is Sam Presti's, you know, love of wings who are super long and athletic and can't shoot. Like, the, the Thunder are just short a shooter. They just need a shooter off the bench, and they just don't have one, you know. He's trying different things with Ferguson and, you know, other defenders, but, like, they have Roberson available if they want him to. But, like, I would maybe <laughs> try Abdel Nader. Like, I just think there's oh, – he, he at least provides some – shooting ability um but they're just short of shooter they just they just need someone who could space the floor more because otherwise the rockets have no trouble guarding in isolation and the kickouts are you know to guys who they'll live with shooting i mean basley's improved but like again not the best shooter in the world right now so i it, you know the outcome of the series seems like it's going to be rockets in six or maybe rockets in seven and it seems like that's what that's what it should be i mean it was a great season um for mm. the thunder but they're just not as talented as the Rockets are yeah I would agree with that um it, it's been a fun series especially for the first round I think uh selfishly I'm a little excited for uh you know what comes next because I think Rockets Lakers will be a fascinating series uh and it'll be fun to talk about OKC's offseason because they have any number of directions they can go in uh but one last thing I wanted to talk about before we uh, move on to, to Celtics Raptors is if you're Dennis Schroeder, I think PJ Tucker would probably be at the bottom of the list of people in the NBA who I would want to hit uh, right in the nuts. Like that dude is scary. Why? Like what, what are you doing if you're Schroeder? Yeah. Uh, pretty dumb play. Uh, both guys got fined $25,000, no suspensions, um, which is definitely a win for the, for the thunder there. Um, but you know, Schroeder's done some dumb things in his career, bit of a hothead early on. Um, definitely gotten some fights when he was with the Hawks. You know, I think he just likes to instigate sometimes. Um, and I would agree with you, not a good person to instigate with PJ Tucker seems pretty tough. Uh, seems <laughs> like not, a, not a fun person to have be mad at you. Um, but just a careless play. I mean, I'm, I understand they were frustrated. They were getting blown out in the third quarter. You know, they were down like three at half and it got stretched to 20 in like four minutes, but mm -hmm. there's no reason to do that. I mean, you, he basically, Schroeder basically eliminated any, ch eliminated any chance of his team winning the game by doing that. Cause he was the best player on the floor in the first half. And he, you know, they were down double digits early and he had a huge second quarter and brought them back in to single digits down to, you know, within five. And it's just like, it's just a dumb, careless play that doesn't, you know, you know, it's just, there's no point of doing that. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Well, we'll, we'll see what happens in game six. Uh, I think it'll probably be a tight one because the Thunder are going to have everything out there, but um, I would agree with you and that I would expect the Rockets to come away with it and then we'll move on to Rockets Lakers. So let's switch gears here and, and go over to Celtics Raptors. You want to give us a, a quick recap of the game? Yeah. I mean, Celtics really dominated from start to finish here. It was 112-94 final. Um, Celtics got up huge in the first quarter as much as 19, I think. Um, the Raptors got down to nine at one point in the second quarter, but I mean, the Celtics were up double digits the entire second half. Uh, you know, I don't think there's that much to read into this game. Mm -hmm. It's a make or miss league and uh, the Raptors did a lot of missing as we'll talk about. Um, but, uh, you know, again, the Celtics sort of flexing their muscles in terms of skilled isolation scores and, and just smart, smart defense, I think, definitely contributed to that. Um, I guess to start with the Celtics, uh, where do you want to talk about first with the Celtics? Yeah, I mean, I, I think one thing that I noticed in this game that it would be uh, good to touch on is 
obviously, you know, Tatum had a, had a solid game. Kemba Walker had a solid game. Jalen Brown had a solid game. Uh, but I feel like they got a lot out of, you know, not those three guys. So I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about Marcus Smart, Robert Williams, Time Lord, you know, those guys. Yeah, yes. Smart was huge here, 21 points. Um, he had a huge first game in the bubble against the Bucks, like the first one of the first games of the entire bubble. And then uh, he had basically not made a shot since then. Um, but he's such a streaky shooter that when he gets it going, he's so confident. Um, and he made five threes in this game. He had 21 points, which was you know tied with Tatum for leading score in the Celtics. So a huge, mm. smart offensive game. And I think when he has it going offensively, it really helps him lock in defensively too. And he you know has less frustration and just plays a better all-around brand of basketball, um, which was really impressive. Tice really struggled close to the rim here. Um, I think he is going to struggle at times on offense with the defense of Ibaka and Gasol, but mm-hmm. really cleaned up the glass well protected the rim well, did the dirty work. Um, and then Robert Williams, uh, you know, he just provides a different look for the Celtics. We talked about this in the, in the preview of this series that we'd like to see Robert Williams or Grant Williams instead of Cantor. And Cantor was a DNP coach's decision today because he just can't guard in space and the, the Raptors will pick and roll and pick and pop, pop him to, de- to, to death. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Robert Williams... Struggle at the beginning, guarding Ibaka. Ibaka was probably the Raptors' best player in this game offensively. But he's a lob threat, a shot blocker. Um, you know, he maybe doesn't know what he's doing at all times. There's a lot of silly mistakes out there. But he just provides more of a dynamic look for the Celtics on both ends of the floor than Cantor does. You know, more athletic, long, et cetera. Um, and I think he did a really good job uh, in this game. Yeah, I would agree. I, I I was really impressed with his play. I mean, 10 points, five rebounds, two assists, two blocks and a steal in 19 minutes. Um, that's pretty good. The other thing I would say is uh, the Celtics seem to get away with a lot of Brad Wanamaker and Semi Ojale. Uh, sorry, Shemi Ojale, as, as Doris Burke uh, so pertinently reminded us. Uh, so 28 minutes for Wanamaker. He knocked down two threes, which is huge. And then Ojale, 23 minutes, only three points. But when he makes a three-pointer, that's basically free money. Um, so before we move on to the Raptors, anything that you saw from the Celtics in, in game one that you want to see him improve moving to game two? Yeah, this is kind of nitpicking, but um, they need to take less contested mid-range um, early in the shot clock. Tatum does it sometimes. Jalen Brown does it sometimes. And it's just not a huge recipe for success. That's a good defensive team. And then they need to take better care of the ball. Um, they got they did a really good job getting back in transition, so it didn't affect them too much. But 22 turnovers is is how you let the Raptors get out and play. We talked about this. Transition defense is a key here, and the Raptors' offense in the half court is not great. So if you limit turnovers from 22 down to you know, 12, 13, 14, I think the Raptors are really going to struggle to to score, um, even if they shoot better from three uh, than, than they did today. I guess the last thing to a transition that's over is that a big story of this game was just the shot making. I think the Celtics got better quality looks from three than mm-hmm. the Raptors did, but 17 of, thir- 17 of 39 from three uh, for the Celtics versus 10 of 40 from three for the, for the Raptors. That's, that's 21 points right there in an 18 mm-hmm. point uh, win. So I guess that's really what stuck out to me is the shot making. Um, right. And I, I think, you know, that's, that's where the Raptors just need to be better, um, you know, moving forward. Yeah. So if we move over the Raptors, I think that's really the bottom line from this game. Not, not a whole lot of like strategic recommendations here. I think the bottom line is that Toronto's best players have to be better. So, you know, Siakam was five for 16 from the field over three from three Van Vliet was three for 16, two for 11 from three. And then Lowry was five for 12 and one for five from three. If those guys go a combined, you know, three for 19 from three, I don't think this series is going to be too long of a series. Um, Speaking on Lowry, he, he ended up did having, so he did end up having some success in the third quarter with this tactic, but 
I don't think his foul baiting is going to work quite as well against all the Celtics good defenders as it does in some other uh, games. I think, you know, guys like Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown and even Jason Tatum are, are known as good defenders. And I think they get respect from the refs. So when, you know, Lowry flies into the lane and throws his body at people and flails his shoulders and arms and throws the ball up in the air. I just don't think that strategy is going to be as effective in this game, in this series. Um, and so, you know, that's one thing that I noticed. One uh, team we might have to put together is the all like flopping, gesticulating, getting mad at the refs team. You got probably one A and one B on the court in this series with Lowry and, and Mark Smart. <laughs> Although I think Smart at least isn't as bad about the complaining part. Um yeah, it's interesting. You know, I think Lowry is a big flopper on both sides of the ball. I, I like to think that Smart's flopping is, is more of a defensive defensive thing. But, you know, I'm interested to see how Lowry goes, where he goes from here, because I, I think he's limited with his ankle. I mean, I think he didn't look like he had a lot of burst. Um, he couldn't really get by anybody. Um, and so they also – they started with Tatum on Lowry, which I think his size, you know, gave Lowry some fits. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's an issue too. And I think, you know, I think his ankle will continue, will get better and better. as The series goes on, but right now I think that's what led to a lot of the um, flopping and especially early on was that he was just frustrated with his body and he couldn't get by. And so he tried to draw fouls in a way that you said, like you said, the Celtics, do a good job of knowing, you know, scouting and knowing that they're defending and understanding don't get your hands in the cookie jar, go straight up, all those things. Um, right. The Raptors have to defend without fouling. Um, the first quarter was a mess. They committed like 12 or 13 fouls. Um, and that's just not a sustainable, um, you know, way of them going about trying to win games. Um, that was my main other thought there. But really for the Raptors, it's about making shots. Uh, right. Because... <laughs> If they keep going ten to forty from three, like they don't have a, they don't have any chance. Yeah, I I I agree, and I think generally speaking, they will shoot better, especially on some of those open shots. But I do think that what I said before this series, and that I don't know who's going to create shots for the Raptors. I think we saw a little bit, like Siakam was kind of limited to like backing guys down and shooting contested twelve footers, which you know, has its time and place, but I don't think is, is a recipe for a fully effective offense. And then, you know, Van Fleet had was stepping into some good threes, you know, on pick and rolls, but I, I'll be interested to see what the Raptors can do to create shots against the Celtics. Um, and so that's definitely something that I'll be watching going forward. But I, I think, you know, we have not seen the last of, of the Raptors in this series. Nick Nurse, you know, coach of the year, best coach in basketball. I'm sure he'll have some wrinkles for game two. I'm sure these guys like Lowry and Van Fleet and Siakam will bounce back to some extent. So I, I'm excited for the rest of this series. I think we're kind of just getting started in terms of some of the tactics and, and everything that we'll see. So a, a good game one, but excited for the rest of the series. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what Nurse does come Tuesday night to change things up. You know. Yeah, maybe he'll he'll throw in some more of that zone that he was doing. You know, during parts of the second and the third quarter, or even one thing he did was playing Ibaka and Gasol together, especially when the Celtics had uh, Grant Williams in at the four. So we'll see. Uh, he's got all sorts of tricks up his sleeve. Uh, like I said, I don't think uh, the the Raptors are just going to roll over and die. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Um, any other thoughts on this? Uh, otherwise, I think we'll, we'll take a quick break before we jump into Nuggets Jazz. No, um, that's all I have on this game. Again, I think it's going to be a great series. I think the Raptors will bounce back in game two. All right, cool. Let's uh, take a quick break and then we'll get on to the next game. Yo, um, preposterous. <laughs> all I can Uh, like, I don't know what to say. Like, Murray and Mitchell just don't miss. I mean, the shot making across all the NBA has been really good in the bubble. I think mostly because, like, there's no travel and guys are getting good night's sleep. And, like, they're shooting in the same gyms every single day, which probably helps. I'm sure there's some issues 
when you move from arena to arena to arena with your backgrounds, but Mitchell and Murray are on, a, are on another level. Like, 50 on 24 shots is absurd. Mitchell, 44 on 25 shots is absurd. Just, like, wild, wild shot making. Yeah, so, I mean, we, we finish up there with Nuggets 119, Jazz 107. As you said, 50 for Murray, 17 for 24 from the field, 9 for 12 from three. I mean, who is this guy? Steph Curry? Yeah, man. At the end, the Jazz were showing two bodies like at midcourt, like he was Steph Curry or Lillard or whoever. And it's just like, doesn't even matter. It doesn't even Although matter. I will say, down the stretch, Royce O'Neal made a couple stupid plays where Jokic has the ball with six seconds left on the shot clock with his back to a guy at the free throw line. O'Neal comes over, tries to put the ball away, gives Murray a wide open three. It's like, hey, maybe you stick with the guy who's eight for 11 from three. Yeah. You know, I think – I don't know what to say about Murray. I mean – on the whole for the game, it looked like off the bat that the Nuggets were in deep trouble, you know? Um, they couldn't get a stop. It looked like the first five games of the series, Mitchell was going off. You know, Murray was guarding him, but Murray's not long enough to bother him. Um, and I thought Gary Harris would change the energy level for the Nuggets in the first quarter. And the Nuggets bench, I thought, really brought it early on. Um, and their plus-minus numbers really show that. Uh, Plumlee plus 11, Porter Jr. plus 20, Craig plus 18, Gary Harris plus 16. They didn't really score. I mean, Craig had eight points, but you know Porter Jr. was one of seven shooting, Harris one of four shooting, Plumlee didn't even take a shot. But the Nuggets bench sort of brought the energy, and that allowed them to overcome that initial surge early on by the Jazz. And, you know, take the lead um, in the second quarter uh, for good, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, after from the second quarter onward, it really did seem like the Nuggets had control of that game and a, a quietly good game with Jokic. I know that I, I agree in that he's been struggling a little bit with Gobert's length, but if you look at his line, I mean, 22 points on 7 for 15 shooting, only four rebounds, but nine assists and three steals, which I was going to criticize the fact that he reaches every single time someone on defense gets a rebound. Uh, but I guess he had three steals. So um, the other yeah. thing I noted, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, he commits some dumb fouls. He definitely does reaching in frustration fouls, all that, but you know, he has quick hands and he knows the game. Well, you know, I, he's, a, he's not a good defender obviously. Cause he's like very, stuck to the ground and doesn't move that well laterally, but he knows the game so well, as you can see by how he plays offense that, you know, he knows where to be and he knows how to play. It's just physically, he maybe doesn't have the ability defensively. Um, so, you know, he can, you know, a lot of his steals are positioning based, quick hands, you know, all that, but um, he definitely commits some dumb fouls out there too. Yeah, the one thing I was going to note is that uh, on our last pod, we were talking about who Mike Malone was going to close with. And I, I guess they must have this. They must, somebody on their staff must be listening to this podcast because lo and behold, they had Murray, Craig, Michael Porter Jr., Grant, and Jokic out there down the stretch. Uh, and it, it, it seemed to work for them. Yeah, definitely. Craig made a big defensive play. Wouldn't shock me if they get over to Gary Harris eventually instead of Craig, mm -hmm. just because there's a little more offensive juice there. Not that Gary Harris has been a terrific offensive player um, this year, but it worked for them. And they, and I thought they played really well um, after, you know, the first eight minutes, even they'd given up like 28 points in the first eight minutes and looked like it was going to be more of the same. And the jazz were going to score 130 and it was going to be toast for the nuggets, but they really, they really turned it up. They yeah. Really turned it up. Yeah, uh, definitely. Should we talk about the Jazz? Yeah, let's talk about the Jazz. Um, I think they struggled to adjust. Early on, basically, Mitchell was getting whatever he wanted to because the Jazz were still playing drop coverage. Jokic was still sitting in the lane. And Mitchell's being guarded by, you know, someone relatively undersized. 
Um, they had they started the Nuggets started with um, Millsap and Jeremy Grant at the three and the four, and then the guards um, were Monte Morris and Murray. But um, it was a str- it was a struggle for them defending Mitchell in the first quarter, and then they started to be more aggressive. They started to bring more bodies, help more, and I think Mitchell was probably trying to be a little too aggressive. Um, mm-hmm. But the pull-up threes were great. Obviously, he made tons of shots, but I would have liked him. I would like to see him distribute a little more than he did, uh, and that's nitpicking, obviously, because he had forty-four points on on twenty-five shots. But um, yeah, felt- only. Only five assists, which for a guy who played 40 minutes and I imagine had a super high usage rate, that's not a ton. Yeah, yeah. And, and they just need, they need to spread the wealth a little more. If you, like, if you, I mean, it was a horrible Clarkson game, I think, which is part of the reason why they lost. Um, and he, had, he played 30 minutes. And again, he played 30 minutes because Bogdanovich isn't there. And that's where it really hurts them. It's like in a game like this where Clarkson doesn't have it, He's 5 of 14, 106 from 3, minus 24 uh, in 30 minutes. Um, You know, Quinn Snyder has nowhere else to go. Um, Like if – and he played Yang 20 minutes, but he he has to play a guard. And, you know, Clarkson's a better option than than Moutier or anything. But, but, um, you know, if Bogdanovich was around, you know, Clarkson would have played 12 minutes in this game or something. You know what I mean? It's just – but he has no other options, and so he has to keep pulling him out there. And if, if Clarkson is not being a dominant offensive force, he's killing you on the other end of the floor. And so it's just a tough it's a tough equation for the Jazz. Yeah, I think I could have done a better job covering Jamal Murray down the stretch than Jordan Clarkson was doing. Uh, can we can we talk about Quinn Snyder for a second? So I want to start off with his outfit. Um, you know, normal collared shirt, polo, like most of the coaches have been wearing. But then you get a you get a full panoramic view of Snyder, and he's wearing these tight, cuffed, skinny jeans uh, and some Vans, showing off hella ankles. Um, I, he almost looked like a cool dad in Manhattan Beach who's just woefully unaware that his kids are assholes. Uh, so that was at least one thing that I was getting a lot of entertainment out of tonight is this Quinn Snyder's outfit. Yes, and in that very specific hypothetical, I think Jordan Clarkson would definitely be his uh, his asshole son, uh, based, <laughs> based off the performance, based off the performance today. Uh, you know, I, you know, a little more seriously on Snyder, I would have liked to see more adjustments. I, I don't know what to do. I mean, if like Jamal Murray is like one of the five best players on earth, and Jokic is the guy saying the ball screen. I don't really know how you deal with that that situation, but right. I'd like to see something. I don't know if it's zone or you know what I mean. Like we talked about earlier with with the Mavs and going zone. We talked earlier about the adjustments, all the adjustments that Brad Stevens and Nick Nurse make in games. I would have liked to see something different from the Jazz. I know it's a little harder because they're so reliant on having Gobert sit in the paint, and so you can't just like change your whole scheme when you have the defensive player of the year and like take away that ability from him. But when Murray's torched you like he has, and you know, he now has two 50 point games in the series, just like, just like Mitchell does, uh, which is ridiculous. Um, they need to try something different and there just was nothing, you know, different that they were showing him. Yeah. I think the tough thing there is like, if you, and I, I think we've previously talked about this. If you throw a double at Murray, like the guy who's going to be standing in the middle of the court as your outlet is Jokic, who's probably the best passing big man of all time. Um, so yeah, I, I think they need to they need to figure something out because you can't let Jamal Murray continue to score fifty points a game. Yeah, and look, uh, really good game from Jeremy Grant too, which helps you, right? So if you have sure. Porter Jr. and not that he played that well, you know. Tory Craig is not good on offense, but he's okay. And then if, if Jeremy Grant's going to go four of seven from three, then it's a more, you know, filled out offensive lineup to close games. You know, I still think you have to make Jeremy Grant beat you or Tory Craig mm-hmm. beat you. And, you know, maybe even if you have to settle for giving them some like pretty wide open threes that, you know, cause you can't give Jamal Murray 
uh, contested step back three is because he's going to make those every time. Uh, that has to be what you try. But it, at some point, it's like if a guy is 17 to 24, you know, double him. Like, try something. Um, and there wasn't any adjustment, really, by the Jets. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this series has been a blast to watch. I think perhaps the unfortunate thing is – it probably doesn't matter a ton who wins game seven because the Clippers are sitting there waiting and I'm sure they're licking their chops at the lack of wing defenders on either of these teams. Um, But this has been a fun series to watch and I am definitely fired up for game seven. That should be on Tuesday, right? Yeah. Tuesday night, Tuesday night. All right. Must see TV there. Okay. Let's, uh, Unless you got anything else there, I was going to say, let's move to some, to some quick hitters. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So we, we got a couple of what may be recurring segments that we've set up. And so we're going to run through some of these. The first category is Matt's stats. So this is uh, the most preposterous box score items, both positive and negative, that we saw from the games that we're recapping. So you want to take us through uh, this edition of Matt's stats? Yeah, I mean, we talked about this a little earlier, but definitely the most ridiculous thing that happened in terms of stats was Tyson Chandler's 0 of 2 at the line, not playing a single second in the game against the Thunder uh, when Schroeder and, and PJ Tucker got ejected. Uh, Billy Dominic got to pick the shooter, and he picked Tyson Chandler, went 0 of 2 at the line, and if Tony called timeout before he could play a single second, which I thought was kind of a little mean. Mm-hmm. Um, but Especially because they were up like 20. Yeah, they're up twenty. Like, run one pick and roll. Like, maybe give. I would. I would give them a post touch, but whatever. Um, uh, seven offensive rebounds in the first half for Stephen Adams. Um, it's pretty ridiculous, but I guess isn't as ridiculous when he's playing against such a small front line for the Rockets. Uh, and then Gary Clark shot his first two pointer at the playoffs in Game Five of this series. Um, I think he had some. He had been something like thirty-two threes in the first four games without taking a single two. Um, which is ridiculous basically because Gary Clark isn't even that good of a three-point shooter. It's like he's like a 34% three-point shooter or something. But right. For those of our listeners who aren't quite as plugged in, do you want to is, – is this the Gary Clark that was once a defensive force for the Louisville Cardinal? Uh, it, is, it is not. Gary Clark went to Cincinnati actually. Oh, wow. I have and, uh, was, totally, drafted, was drafted to be a part of the Rockets. He was on the Rockets. Um, and – basically kind of fits what they do pretty well. I guess didn't shoot it well enough to like be part of this like rotation of switchable kind of big wings that shoot threes, but is like a six, 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 seven wing that like is tough and is a mediocre shooter and just shot a million threes for the magic because they had no other, other, they know their options with, with Isaac out and Aaron, and Aaron Gordon out. So yeah. First two pointer of the playoffs. Uh, All right. Game five. Good stuff. Yeah. I think I was thinking of Earl Clark. Yeah. Earl Clark okay. was great. Super talented. Super <laughs> talented, tall wing. Louisville had yeah. many of those guys. Yeah. All right. Ne- let's go to our next segment. This one's going to be me asking you a ridiculous question that's just barely worth considering. Yeah. Is Lou Dort a future defensive player of the year candidate? I mean, no one ever wins the defensive player of the year who's not eight feet tall. So I guess, like, technically no, but, like, if you said like is Lud- could Ludwig be Marcus Smart? Like I could say I would think like on the defensive end, like yeah, why not? And like Marcus Smart, I guess isn't a defensive player of the year candidate. He wasn't top three or whatever. But like Lou Dort can't really win defensive player of the year because like you have to be like Rudy Gobert or Giannis or Anthony Davis to win because defense because like big men are more valuable defensively than guards are. That's but, fair. Like, who's the, who's the last non big man to win defensive player of the year? Has it ever happened? I mean, I'm sure it's happened at some point, but uh, I can I can look it up while we t- while we talk here. If you uh, save it for the next pod, that'll be something something for everybody to look forward to. Okay, that's your homework. You okay, uh, this this is a set uh, next segment. So the funniest non sports related thought watching the game. Um, so I I think the Quinn Snyder probably falls in that bucket, which I already gave you. But the other thing yeah, that I noticed sure. on on the coaching front is. Billy Donovan going absolutely ham chewing his gum. Like during the national anthem, it, it looked like he was trying to get a jaw workout. I am going to officially dub him the Pete Carroll of the NBA because he was just going to town on that gum. I like that. I also realized that he's been growing out his hair a little bit more in the bubble. 
Um, and it looks a lot better, actually. Like, his hair was always really short. And he has kind of like a weird hairline. And I think growing it out a little more, like, makes it look more more normal. So, respect to you for doing that, Billy Donovan. All right, good stuff. Uh, so, then the next segment is ninth, ninth man player of the day or the night. Uh, this yep. is, like, guys who kind of – came off the end of the bench and, and exceeded expectations. You want to take us through those? Yeah, sure. We had a few options here. Uh, Time Lord, Robert Williams. Uh, 10 points, five rebounds, two assists, two blocks, one steal in 19 minutes. Really filling the stat sheet. Um, you know, probably three or four dumb plays too, but that's part of the Time Lord experience. Uh, we have Dwight Howard at 11-6. and six in a game that I watched very, very little of. Um, but he was the fourth highest scorer in the Lakers, dominating Hassan Whiteside in the backup center matchup. <laughs> um, and then Marvin Williams, four of four from three. Really love Marvin Williams. You know, probably shouldn't have gone second in the draft the year he did. Uh, but but a really solid player. And he, was, he was one of those guys who was like five or ten years too early. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it was one of those things where, like, he had to be a small forward when he entered the NBA when he always should have been a power forward. Right. But, um, you know, he, he's he been in the league for, like, 15 years now. I think he's in the same draft as, like, Chris Paul and Darren Williams. Yeah, you're so, right. He went, he went second after yeah. – um, who was it that went first? Bogut? Maybe. Yeah, I think it was 2005. Bogut first, Marvin Williams second, and then after that, all the other guys. All right, uh, last last segment before we get to some international basketball talk. Um, yep. anno- annoying announcers of the night. So I had a couple observations here. First, the way that Spiro Didis says Danilo Gallinari is absolutely ridiculous. It's like, Danilo Gallinari, like – Spiro, you're from New Jersey. Please spare us the accent and just like call him Gallo or something. Yeah. Uh, my second nitpick is I really like Doris Burke. Um, and I actually think most of the time she's better than Mark Jackson and Van Gundy. But in the Celtics Raptors game, I don't think she like said a single piece of criticism the entire game, which is just like, Give me some insight, Doris. Don't be like complimenting Fred Van Fleet's, you know, pick and roll game when he's two for eleven from three. Um, so that was something else that kind of annoyed me. That's fair. Um, you know, the Van Gundy and Jackson experience is just—I just don't—I don't think Mark Jackson actually provides anything on a, on a broadcast. So I would yeah. for just Van Gundy with Breen. Yeah, that's my last point is sometimes Van Gundy and Jackson just bicker like two 14-year-olds. Like Van Gundy always wants to be right and Mark Jackson just takes the opposite perspective of Mark Jackson and then Van Gundy gets mad. Um, so that's that's another thing. But I'm, I'm, just, I'm out here complaining. I shouldn't, I shouldn't be complaining. We got the NBA back, um, back for the second time in as many months. Uh, so – a few things to watch out for, but uh, don't get as hung up on it as I have. Yeah. All right. That's, so that's fair. Those are our quick hitters. Now let's move on to what seems to be our, our listeners favorite segment that we do uh, a little discussion of international hoops. So last time we talked about uh, the potential Yugoslav team and the team I want to talk about this time, we're trying, you know, I, I think my problem with the Olympics is it's always a little bit lopsided. There's like three or four really good teams. Now I'll say this is changing. And if the USA throws out their best guys, they're always dominant. So I'm kind of thinking about how can we make the Olympics more competitive? And my thought today watching the Celtics Raptors was what about an all Africa team? So this team would have Moutier at the one, Josh Koji at the two, I'm running out Bull Bull at the three, Siakam mm-hmm. at the four, and then Embiid at the five. And then coming off the bench, we have Al Farouk Aminu, Abdul Nader, who's actually from Egypt, a little Eastern African action, Bismack mm-hmm. Biombo, Dang, Niang, and Taco Fall. What do you think of that team? Yeah, not a ton of guard play. Um, you know, 
Moutier was one of the worst rotation players in the NBA this year. Uh, Okogi can really, can really defend, but can't really play offense. Those closeouts, they're fire. Uh, Bull Bull, you know, could be good one day. I'm not sure he's currently good. Uh, you know, the Siakam and B combo is definitely effective, but it feels like kind of like watching the 2026ers. Like, like, and B just going to get doubled on literally every single possession. And, like, they're going to dare Moutier and Akogi to, uh, to, beat, to beat you if, you if you're playing against that team. And, you know, really that, that's not that different than, than daring Josh Richardson and, and Shake Milton to beat you. So it didn't work out well for the Sixers. But, you know, maybe Siakam's a better fit next to Embiid than Ben, than ben Simmons is. Uh, who knows? Lots of good defensive players, though. You know, yeah, a lot of centers in the, on the you know on the roster. Again, very similar to both the 2015, you know, and 2026ers. Yeah, I think that's probably a theme with a lot of these international players. Is like you only play basketball if you're really tall. Otherwise, you just play soccer. Um, yeah, which leads me to thinking about what would the ideal. USA soccer team made up of only NBA players look like. So that may be something that I take as homework for one of our next podcasts. I like that. I like that. Yeah. The all African team, you know, I think will be a lot better in like 10 years than it is right now. I guess for sure. I would say, I mean, there's yeah. a lot of development there. They're working with lots of guys. So we'll see, you know, right, but like right now, I would say worse than Yugoslavia, but better than Germany. Yeah. I mean, Definitely better than Germany. The Tice Kleba front line is okay, but it's not Embiid Siakam. Although Schroeder is the best guard on either of these teams by a mile. Yeah, that's fair. All right. Uh, I think uh I think that's all we got. Is yeah. there anything else that you want to leave the listeners with? I mean, this what a fantastic ending to uh, a great weekend of, of basketball and looking forward to the coming week with Games every single day. Yeah. I love basketball. That's my final thought. All right. You heard it there, people. We'll see you later. See you later.